Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. Unfortunately, we're taping this show in, uh, in, a, in a terrible time for the country. We've had the pandemic virus affecting our country and countries all over the world, and the economy shut down. And I think one of the basic, one of the things that we're missing are are, um, are essential freedoms uh, as part of addressing what's going on with this virus, uh, shutting down business, shutting down the right to assemble. That has me almost, well, it did have me turning to the Bill of Rights and to the Declaration of Independence. And you look at freedom of religion, freedom of press, freedom to petition government, things like that. The, the cornerstones of what made it, has made America great are definitely under threat um, as we speak. And from Thomas Jefferson, we have our right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But it seems like in the pursuit of life, which is, a, which is an existentially important thing to do, we seem to have forgotten the other two aspects of the Declaration, which is liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, with me in the cause of freedom, fellow, fellow uh, travelers, uh, fellow warriors are Lawson Bader and Tracy Sharp. Uh, Lawson's chairman and or CEO of the Donors Trust, which uh, is an organization which steers uh, donor money to, high pro to highly promising uh, conservative and libertarian nonprofit groups throughout the country and in some cases around the world. Tracy Sharp is doing very important work as the chairman or the CEO of the State Policy Network. And in that, she works with think tanks and action tanks throughout the country in all 50 states and really has her uh, eye and ear to the ground to, to let us know how, how everybody's being affected by this current situation. Uh, together, they've, gone, they've come together to create something they're calling, that's called the Growth and Resilience Project, which uh, I think is a terrific idea for today's issues. And uh, with that, I'd like to kick it off and let, uh, oh, let let's pick ladies first. Tracy, um, tell us about the Growth and Resilience Project. <clears throat> Well, this came about out of the need uh, from the coronavirus crisis that we're all in. And a lot of this is being addressed through direct policy, especially at the state and local level. We know that in the first few weeks, the moves that were made by governors to open up healthcare access, these were public policy moves most of which came from this network of think tanks around the country, at least one in every state, to help increase access, which these changes help save lives. Out of that success, we knew that eventually we would need to get this economy going again. And out of that came the Growth and Resiliency Project that working with Donors Trust to bring together uh, investors and donors and people of influence who care about getting saving lives, keeping people safe and healthy. And a big part of that is getting this economy going again. So I was pleased when Lawson Bader of Donors Trust came up with the idea, gave us a call, and uh, we got it launched very quickly. But philosophically, the thing that distinguishes this that I think is so important is, is it's, it's, 
it's civil society solutions to today's problems. It's people organizing themselves locally to address problems uh, as they happen locally as, and, 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 and fix them. And it doesn't involve a, a government uh, uh, determining outcomes or actions. Lawson? Correct. Yes. No, that, uh, that's exactly right, Bill. I think it's, you know, I obviously Donors Trust represents sort of the philanthropic community in, in all of this. And it's important to remember that obviously this whole thing started with the health crisis, a, le a legitimate one. And whenever we have crises across the country, uh, be they hurricanes, earthquakes, famine, you know, donors, philanthropy is always quick to step up and, and help. And we certainly have seen that happening when it comes to sort of the medical need. And the problem is a health crisis precipitated an economic crisis. And it's actually the reactions of largely governor elected officials, well-intentioned or not, that have now put us in a different kind of a world where the response actually requires the right kind of policy response. Um, because if we don't get that right, we won't be in a position to actually make some of the advances in health that, that have happened. And so, the idea of the project was to come along with our donors uh, to partner with the groups like the State Policy Network, um, the Atlas Network, which also represents sort of the global think tank free market community, um, and to focus on some, some quick solutions to address uh, regulatory barriers, to get people back to work, to focus on sort of health access, to look at some of the sort of the, 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 the ridiculous rules out there affecting uh, who, can, who can have what. So there are accounting rules, for example, that, that don't allow certain or penalize certain businesses for stockpiling medical supplies. Well, seems counterintuitive at the moment. So we have to think of this as the commonsensical approach to address some of these regulatory issues so that we can actually get change uh, you know food back in the process and and uh, and all the distribution processes going and get some common sense thinking to how people actually organize and, and go back to retail stores because that's where the devastation has occurred so if we can partner to turn this economic crisis into some resilience uh, and use the think tank community both national and state that's that's where we want to do it well common sense involves doing what's necessary where it's necessary and tracy uh, the virus has disproportionately affected some states, but uh, not many others. Can you give us a profile of where, where this is a, a big problem and where not so much? Well, we do know, obviously, that California and New York uh, have been deeply affected, and, uh, but every state in some way has been affected. And this is why it's important that we allow the, each state to see proximity in policy matters which is why the policies put forth that are specially designed to help each state, it's better to try to solve these level, this, these issues at the state level. See, a lot of what Lawson was talking about and really at our core beliefs is that we believe in private voluntary solutions to help mitigate human suffering. And what happened in the first couple of weeks to increase access came from market-oriented ideas that were private and voluntary and having philanthropy come in to help, having policymakers at the local level infused with these ideas where it's relevant and responsive to the needs of the people in those states. What's an example of some of those? Well, for healthcare access, it was a removal of certificate of need laws, which this is gonna be an oversimplification, but allows for equipment to move more freely and access to equipment. 
It's expanding telehealth. It's expanding the scope of practice, which lets medical professionals work at the top of their field and removing requirements around licensing. Of course, we keep in mind, front of mind, the health and safety of the patients. But with executive orders, stroke of the pens, that these were put in place, these barriers to health access were removed. And as a result, lives were saved. You know, when the governors of Colorado and Michigan uh, are picking up state think tank ideas, these market oriented ideas, that the, we really wanna make these temporary changes permanent because the patient, average Americans benefit. Well, I wish the governor of Michigan would take up more of your ideas. <laughs> well, yeah, we're working on that. She, she's become notorious. Yeah, uh, she's, yeah. she's determined my our power tools we want to buy at Home Depot are non-essential. Maybe she's right, maybe not. I think oh, not. I do love awesome. the, uh, yeah, my opinion, is it's got the greatest banner, but, you know, no seed, but you can get weed. So, yeah. <laughs> So what are some of the projects that you've supported? I, I, I see your, your competitive enterprise institutes, one of them, Lincoln Networks, another. What, what, what yeah, talk just, about what, what, you're, uh, what, you're, what you're trying to do? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the, what we've done is sort of come up with initial resources. Um, we've, we've started to um, advertise, you know, go ahead and submit things and try to come up with some fairly clear and narrow definitions of what we're looking for, uh, ideas of economic deregulation, reduce, reducing barriers to entry, employment, and also, frankly, countering the narrative of Michigan governor, among others. <laughs> and so we had the first round uh, come in. We have funded five initially. Uh, the Competitive Enterprise Institute has a project called Never Needed, uh, which is the hashtag Never Needed, sort of looking at the, the campaign for why did we even have that rule in the first place. Um, and and, and these, this is a scalable idea. So CEI can help run it, but frankly, it can flow to the SPN networks and Atlas networks. And so it's, it's replicable. Um, we funded a project actually in Indonesia because we're looking globally at this because this is a global issue at the moment. Um, and there are some barriers to uh, food production actually that have been caused by some government rules. And so the organization there is looking at an opportunity to actually reduce those to see a free flow of food and and beverages into Indonesia, which is needed at the moment. Uh, the Lincoln Network, uh, looking at a, uh, working with some professors to develop a better statistical model for how we sort of analyze risk and what actually uh, is the data that we're seeing specifically related to the COVID-19. Um, the National Taxpayers Union Foundation is a fourth project. They're looking at some of the the nitty gritty that we wouldn't think of, but how uh, how tax filing status is gonna change. Uh, loosening flexible spending accounts, for example, the rules that govern that. Telework uh, paperwork is a whole issue that none of us really thought was a big deal two months ago, but the reality is that many of us are teleworking at the moment. Uh, and then the Mercatus Center has a uh, sort of free market education online project. So each of those is, is sort of looking at a piece of that we, we literally have 22 proposals right now um, that we're looking through and another five or 10 on the way. So we're just trying to find the broadest ones that apply uh, in a way that can be scalable, um, can, can be utilized right now. And that frankly, by us doing this, we're hoping that other donors and other organizations value and come alongside and uh, and and support those efforts where, where, where would i find the never i like i like the list of never needed regulations where is that on the cei website already 
contact CEI for that. We have um, we have created a, a website at Donors Trust, which defines the project and lists the organizations that have been already sort of granted. But CEI would, would be where I would go to to see that. They, they're looking at so like one of the ones is looking at how the uh, the FCC, for example, has made some changes that now make it difficult uh, to telemedicine and the spectrum allocation, how that's distorted things at a time when we need a lot of spectrum use. Is there, sil is there a silver lining to all this crisis and that we might see that as, as, we, as, as, as the smoke clears and we come up for air and we get back to work and things that more people are looking at some of these regulatory constraints or, or barriers in a way to say it's now time to get rid of them? I think that's the I think that's the hope. Um, you know that the fact that you have you have a lot of eye rolling right now over. I'm sure just as many supporters of the Michigan governor are thinking, really, you, you can't buy house plants to go outside and plant. Um, and and how do you turn that confusion, which is not an ideological reaction, into an opportunity? I'm sure some of your, your listeners know the Oberton window. Um, the idea that you know politicians are going to respond to what is perceived as popular. Well. If some of these things can be shown to be ludicrous uh, and, and unnecessary, and as as Tracy said, actually affecting lives, um, you start to shift that to opportunities. Um, and what used to be considered a bad word like deregulation now becomes a much more commonsensical approach. So frankly, we can avoid this happening again. The Overton window is the idea that you've got certain ideas that are so outside the pale, outside the bound, they couldn't be in the window, never consider them. And then there's something that we'd consider radical that if you start looking at it freshly, it gets more realistic. And eventually these ideas work their way through into policy. Is that is that essentially? That's exactly right. Right. Yeah. yeah. We think we have that opportunity in the states that there's a gap, an opportunity that's opened up to move that up that Overton window of what's politically possible a lot in healthcare access. But now as we try to get the economy started again to help states meet their budgets. Uh, well, they will all have budget shortfalls. Um, and so the state groups are activating to move that Overton window at this time. Now, do you also do the rich state, poor state study? Or is that- uh, Alex work? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's uh, because th this is also an opportunity to see what works and what doesn't work. Right. On, on one end of the spectrum, you've got the Michigan governor and the other end, you've got, is it the North Dakota or South Dakota governor that has a completely different take on it? Can we, can we, can we hope we can draw some conclusions about how a, a, a state government ought to act like in a, in, a, in, a, in a circumstance like this? No, I think that's exactly right. I, I certainly think there are some fiscal decisions being made right now in Ohio and Maryland and other states are saying, look, we're, we're going to freeze all clearly non-COVID-19 related uh, uh, spending and you're not getting the legislative pushback that one would normally have because I think people realize that state budgets are in trouble and the last thing a state's going to do right now is raise taxes and so you're getting some of that spending cutting fiscal responsibility that may not have been there otherwise and that becomes an opportunity and as other governors see success of others then they're going to mimic that accordingly. Yeah. The, the states that are more successful in handling this are going to become models so we're looking forward to really amplifying those successes, really trying to spread them to other states and give credit where credit is due. And uh, I think this is, this is something that the network is pushing for because these are uh, experiments in these states that can be held up as success stories. How do you, uh, donor, 
donors, donors trust. I mean, everybody's under pressure now with their with their contribution dollars. Uh, everybody's portfolio shrunk by 10, 20, 30, 40 percent in some cases. How, how, how do you see that affecting your ability to make uh, make these good ideas happen? Well, in part, we actually created this fund in part because of that. The reality is there are lots of donors in different situations, as you say. Some who are uh, who give out of their annual income, for example, where they have jobs that are not seen as necessarily at risk, may or may not have any effect on their ability to Others where it's a portfolio based, you know, that 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 decision may not be made until December. And even then it may be till till later that the, the challenge is finding um, in a midst when probably a lot of donors are getting a lot of emails and a lot of phone calls. And I understand why uh, we want to create this to at least allows a decision matrix. So we so there's two things. One, we I originally put it together with with Tracy and Brad Lips, the head of the Atlas Network, um, and uh, Adam Meyerson, who's the soon-to-be outgoing president of the Philanthropy Roundtable, then Kim Dennis, who runs the Social Freedom Trust. And the idea of having those five is that they represent a lot of organizations. And so for some individuals who say, I've got limited dollars, I've got limited time, I'm getting a lot of requests for things, and I know I want to do something, can I maybe use this fund either to give you a, a grant and you can make the decision or you can see what we're recommending and you can come alongside and partner. So we're trying to make Well, yeah, to be clear, the reason I was excited to have you two on is that you both probably have some of the best windows into what what's working and what isn't working throughout the states in Tracy's case and throughout all sorts of different uh, nonprofit think tanks and action tanks, in your case, Lawson. And one of the one of the resources you bring to bear is what organizations have actually been effective in the past and what do we think is going to be effective now? You want to amplify? Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge is that this is, a, this is a, obviously a competition for dollars and truth of the matter is um, competition also forces people to innovate and, and be effective. And at the moment, we need to have the groups that are best able to respond be the ones that are supported. No, no disrespect intended to those that are maybe not as well positioned, but that's the reality at the moment. And so there are, but the, the thing is, it's there's a national and a state approach here. I mean, some of the things simply have to be done at the federal level. That probably will involve more of the DC-based think tank world, but yet the implementation at the state level is going to be an SPN and Atlas, and we want those to push up so there's pressure coming from different ways. Um, but the, the donors, of course, feel differently. Some are very passionate about the civil rights issue right now. Some are being more passionate about um, the sort of deregulatory efforts in employment law in their own state. We want to provide resources so that they can make the best decision. Uh, but we also do want to make recommendations and highlight those groups that we think are in the best position to sort of make the bang for the buck. And if that's the case, then those should be supported. So Tracy, you're, you're, you have organizations representing almost 120 million in, in um, annual revenue, and what is it, 150, 50 groups? How are they? Uh, can you give us some flavors about who's who? You know, what, what, what categories do you think are being especially effective? Certainly, in healthcare access, where they can show market benefits, can directly alleviate human suffering. Also, now they're pivoting quite powerfully to when the economy gets started again. And that is specifically to help state budget shortfalls by reprioritizing government spending. And, and these hiring freezes is part of that. 
providing tax relief for American families and businesses, and thirdly, cutting red tape to provide certainty and encourage innovation. This is the backbone of a lot of this fiscal policy work that this network is so strong at, and the, a gap and opportunities opened up for us to charge in and help these policymakers with these ideas to make ends meet and to help the people of their states. I mean, we do believe there's a federal and a state component. Of course, we work predominantly in the states, and now is our opportunity to really move this forward. And these groups for, the, for years have been set up for such a time as this. Hmm. So how would we find you to find out what kind of project? A, if, I, if I'm running a nonprofit and I want to reach out to you, how do we make that happen? And secondly, if I'm a donor, how do I look at the opportunity set? And I guess the third related question is I'm a donor. Do I co contribute to specific projects or is it a pool of money that goes into what the committee decides? How does that work? Uh, I'll answer all three questions in three ways. If you are an organization that uh, is interested in applying, uh, sending a, a proposal, we actually have a dedicated email, resiliencenow at donorstrust.org, or just go to the Donors Trust website and you'll see where there's a link to the page. You can submit something that way, and that page also has some of the requirements and, and details. Um, if you are a donor who is interested in learning more about those projects, um, we have made uh, all the projects that so far have received grants, and we'll update that in, in shortly. Um, they're all there, so you can go to the donorstrust.org resilience page, and there's a list of them all. Um, you can obviously contact me directly. Third thing, about, how, how do you help? Well, there's, there's two ways. Um, we, we certainly, because it's a project at Donors Trust, um, and Donors Trust itself is a donor advised fund provider, but we are a charitable organization, contributions can be made directly to the fund in various ways. Um, if, however, you really are interested in sort of picking one of the projects that we have funded and coming alongside, just talk to me and I can, I can help you guide that through. I, again, my interest here is, is putting some money quickly into scalable projects that are gonna have an impact, but to use this project to try to, frankly, uh, prime giving from other sources to those same projects um, so that we can sort of help begin to push the push the, uh, the rock the rock will continue to roll and donors will be able to come alongside so um, anyway I hope I answered it Tracy yeah, to get yes you answered it in three ways uh, <laughs> maybe more <laughs> Tracy well you're on the, you, there are five of you on the committee deciding uh, how you want to deploy capital how do you decide which which projects uh, the highest priority? Well, I think as Lawson had said, whether it's scalable, whether it directly addresses a need right now, especially to mitigate suffering, um, and whether it can be replicated in other states. I think there's there's a over a hundred of these kind of solution ideas on the State Policy Network website. That's spn.org and then front slash coronavirus will give you even more drill down uh, listing. But what the Growth and Resilience Project is trying to do is to get these moving more quickly with, with investment and quick infusion of capital to amplify what has already worked and bring more of what's working to the fore. Lawson, is that is that how you would characterize no, exactly that? Exactly right. And and you know, foundations are notorious for taking their time. And frankly, one of the reasons why we have done this is because private foundations are slower, and we're going to need them for some long-term issues. 
we're able to respond quickly. So our hope is that every week we're actually making a, a financial decision and that money is being made available to that organization almost the day of the, of the grant. So we're a very quick moving group. Um, but we are, we do look at the scalability. We look at the ability of other groups to mimic. That's important. Um, and ultimately the success and again, sort of a broad approach. So we do want to focus on education, but we do want to focus on pushing back on this a larger narrative of how do governments respond in a crisis and what does that mean for the future? Um, as well as very specific issues of telemedicine and whatnot. And the, the more we can do that, then I think we'll have that broad seed approach, um, which is what we, what we need right now. One of the things, uh, one of the silver linings to this that pandemic may be that we rethink a lot of our institutions, the way we do things. Uh, schools have been shut down, both K-12 and, and, uh, and colleges, and it's forced a lot of people into either homeschooling in the case of K-12 or, or computer-based, Zoom-based classes in the case of, of colleges. Um, there are a lot of us, including me, that thinks a whole lot of education ought to already be happening that way. Do you see any cracks in the in the fissures of the education establishment to uh, open up uh, the way we teach our kids to this technology? Certainly online learning and expanding digital learning has taken off in several states and removing barriers to that as best we can. You know, after the Black Plague, a renaissance occurred. And I think we have this opportunity in education reform, especially <laughs> with online learning. And Lawson, you were going to say something? No, I was just going to say, I think there are a lot of parents out there who are, A, perhaps paying a bit more attention to their children, what their children are studying and how their children are studying in good and bad ways, um, recognizing their own strengths as educators or not. And I, that kind of experiential knowledge um, is ultimately going to put more pressure to bear on the educational system, public, private, independent, whatever it might be, in a productive way. Uh, because the teachers that have really risen to the surface here um, have come up with some creative ways of engaging with the kids when there's not actually a physical ability to assess. Some parents are seeing that in a very positive way. Some are perhaps seeing how their institutions are failing them, and it's going to force a different conversation that ultimately I think will change in the same way air travel is going to change. All of a sudden, do I need to get on an airplane to fly to go visit that person when we actually got a pretty good conversation going through Zoom. That's going to affect um, uh, you know, uh, that kind of activity as well, as well as how many of us are going to keep our offices, how many are not. There's going to be a lot of those renaissance kinds of things that develop to sort of be the silver lining. But I do see education as being a significant opportunity uh, to break and crack some really calcified problems that we've had for 30, 40 years. Well, here's why you know it's an opportunity. Both Oregon and Michigan more recently I think Michigan banned homeschooling as part of their as part of their uh, because they don't the, the the fear is that that people would get used to it people get used to uh, Khan Academy or the other kinds of online sources of teaching and find it's a superior product mm -hmm. and maybe they're going to think differently about putting their tax dollars into some of the public school programs which particularly in the inner city haven't been working. Thoughts? Organizations that are focused very effectively on content and content development yeah. do very well. Correct. Okay, well, I, I can see where I want you to steer your, your uh, growth and resilience money. I think education for me is ground zero. And if we could do something to 
clear away the cobwebs and do something fresh would be uh, that'd be exciting for me right here bill so, right. i know i got wait a second i'm going to get my pocket picked in the middle of this call yeah well it is a big part of our future for sure it is and uh, if you want to help bill we welcome it yeah well yeah. i i probably will <laughs> by the way just to just to add i i use donors trust to help me out with uh, with some of the charitable giving we do and it's a it's a fantastic uh, operation where you can uh, basically just go on the website and decide who you want to uh, support, and they take everything from there. So I thank you for that. You're One welcome. of the other things about your, in this contrast to what we're dealing with now with the response from governments, is that I think you've got some rules about supporting organizations that take too much money from the, uh, from the government. We do. I think one of the distinguishing characteristics of Donors Trust as a donor advised fund is that we are focused specifically on supporting organizations that uh, do not rely on government money to affect their mission. Um, and that their mission is also something that does not expand the size and scope of government. That obviously includes a lot of policy organizations, but it also includes the church synagogue and the small, you know, local orchestra that's not relying on local dollars and that's the civil society piece that matters to us and why the policy piece matters explicitly we got a, a minute here to wrap up tracy um, final final thoughts well as lawson started saying at the very beginning that private voluntary solutions will really show america at its best right we've seen neighbor helping neighbor this is where philanthropy and America at its best can step up and help really alleviate the suffering that's going on, get our economy going again, getting people back to work and really moving on to a bigger, better, brighter future. Lawson? Hard to follow that, but I, I would say 30 years. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> 30 years of dealing with sort of policy in Washington, DC and the philanthropic world. Um, this is a very, very unique situation we are in. Um, and I am more optimistic about that Overton window possibility. Um, and that's gonna require some effort and some strategic thought and some dollars to do so, but I think it's uh, well worth it. Well, thank you guys. Uh, Lawson Bader, CEO of the Donors Trust and uh, Tracy Sharp, CEO of the State Policy Network. You can find Lawson at lawson.org. Okay. <laughs> Tracy? It's spn.org for State Policy Network. Okay, terrific organizations. And if you want to support the Growth and Resilience Project, you can find that information on the Donors Trust website. Well, thanks for joining us. It's a Bill Walton Show, another episode. And uh, look forward to talking with you through this crisis and looking through to talking with you when it's over and the uh, sun comes out and we're all free again. So uh, thanks for listening and talk soon. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes.